Welcome to the Bad Boss Brief, a strategic guide on how to not be an asshole at work. We'll tell you about bad bosses, how they can be handled, how to tell if you happen to be one. An executive and an executive coach, both artists working in advertising and marketing for more than two decades, are here to advise you on the ins and outs of office environments. The Bad Boss Brief is your ultimate guide to navigating any employment landscape. Without any further ado, here are your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. Welcome to Bad Boss Brief. I am Stephanie Payrollo. And I'm here with... Uh, Eugene, S. Ah, Eugene S. Robinson. I stopped all over your intro. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, Eugene, Eugene S. Robinson. Welcome, everybody. Uh, welcome to episode two which is going to be called The Charismatic Liar. We're going to talk about how to spot them and how to yeah. work with them. But we want to start by, first of all, thanking the people who have gotten in touch with us either in the comments or t- through emails. And we want to call out two things. One is uh, Joe Boucher, Butcher. I'm not sure how to say your last name. Butcher! I call him Butcher. <laughs> <laughs> he said of me, that she seems to assume, meaning they, meaning the bosses, don't want to suck. And then he goes on to say he's had plenty of bosses who sucked and don't seem too concerned about the suck. Right? But it's interesting. And one, I appreciate the comment. I appreciate that, you know, starting this sort of dialogue. That's really what we want to do. But what occurred to me is that doing a show where we just talk about assholes at work um, is I could see there being some interest, but it doesn't really interest me. And mm-hmm. I think what's interesting to me is I think that you know I am an executive coach, so and I've been doing it for years. So my career is based around the idea that people can improve as leaders, mm-hmm. and I am I feel a lot of passion about that. So my hope is that someone that's listening to this might recognize a behavior, although we're talking mm-hmm. about it at an extreme end, and think wow, I actually do a lesser version of that. Maybe I could be more skillful at work because the, the having a bad boss makes such an impact on all of the people around them. If I can get one person to be slightly less terrible at work, then or, that's a good thing. Or alternatively, I had a boss, we sat in a bullpen. I had a boss who walked up to this guy, Andy, who sat in the desk next to me, my first job out of college, put his foot on Andy's desk, leaned down into Andy's face and screamed, why are you so fucking stupid? Uh, and Andy began immediately crying. Now, to JB's point, I'm quite sure that this guy knew that he was exemplar, bad boss exemplar, and I'm quite sure he didn't care. But from my point of view, I'm really interested to how he got to that place where that was something that he just worked into his workflow that I'm going to walk over to a kid who's right out of college and ask him in front of the entire office why he's so fucking stupid. Um, I, I, as a studier, as a student of personalities and and motivations and stuff, I, I find that also fascinating. So even if we're looking at somebody who has no interest in changing, I want to know, I kind of really want to know why, you know, right? Well, and also what the rest of us who work for those people can do to kind of survive that. Yes, survive. Which, which brings me to another comment that came in from Lord Snoodles, which is asking for... <laughs> which, is, which is a real name, right? That was actually the name in the comments, <laughs> and, and which asked for more specific suggestions, right? Yeah. So essentially what we're trying to do. So we are going to incorporate those. Thank you for that. And mm. and we'll we'll call them out and try to get to some 
some things like that. So what we want to talk about today is charismatic liars as bad mm-hmm. bosses. Yeah. And I want to start with an example, a bad boss story that's yeah. based in Seattle. There's a guy named Dan Price who started Woo-hoo! a credit card company, credit card processing company called Gravity Payments. And they chugged along, relatively small company. <clears throat> and in 2015, he made all sorts of press by saying that no one who worked at his company would make less than $70,000 a year. And he took a cut in pay as a CEO. And, and also, if I can interject here, there was, I think it was probably premised on a study that uh, some study out of some Ivy League think tank that said the average person, what they need to be happy, and they use happy as a measure, is 70K a year. So I think that's I think that's probably motivated that that figure versus eighty or sixty or fifty. So just right. F- F- FYI, yeah, and probably also the studies that show the increasing delta between yes. what it, the average person gets paid in an organization and then what the CEO gets paid. Right, right, right. right so Dan Price rode this wave of all sorts of publicity, right? And it didn't hurt that he had long brown hair. He was a really pretty white guy. He was in his thirties. So mm-hmm. everybody just ate this up. Until it came out, his ex-wife gave a TED Talk, TEDx Talk, in which she alleged that Price had punched her, slapped her, and waterboarded her while they were. Cue the clown music. Right? Now, what was interesting is that he had at the time a very lucrative book deal, and Mm -hmm. that went away. And he had an Mm -hmm. agent who also went away. Mm -hmm. But he still ran the company. Mm-hmm. He still ran the company. And I think what's interesting is that at that time, what he decided to do was to rehabilitate himself through social media. <laughs> so he continued to use social media to portray himself as this progressive CEO. Mm-hmm. What he was also doing was using social media to reach out to women he found attractive to develop relationships with them, sometimes messaging, oh, sometimes okay. dating. And over time, Two, at least two women, maybe more, accused him of assaulting and raping them. Those accusations and attendant legal action after that caused him to um, resign last August. August of 2022. 2022 is when he finally left the company. And you know what? If you go now to Twitter, he's still tweeting his progressive, you know, whatever. And his LinkedIn profile describes him as just trying to stick up for the underdog. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Unless the underdog is a woman, evidently. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I think what's interesting about this is it tells us a lot about what, you know, attractive white men can get away with in the work world and what they are or are not held accountable for. But I think mm-hmm. what it does is, and this is what I wanted to talk about today, is it brings up this idea of the charismatic liar. Right. So I, I want to make a distinction. There are leaders who are naturally charismatic and they can use those powers for good. Right. You, we've all seen people who can get up on a stage, get at a conference, get in front of a group of people and genuinely inspire them. So right. charisma can be something that is an advantage in leaders. That's not who I'm talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. There are also people who can use publicity for things that they have actually done that are valuable. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you look at the founder of Patagonia, uh, Yvonne Chouinard and his wife, they gave away their ownership of Patagonia to fight climate change. Mm-hmm. According to CNBC, they gave away a stake that was worth three billion with a B dollars. 
right? Mm-hmm. And that what's that profit from that is expected to generate about a hundred dollar, hundred million dollars a year mm-hmm. to fight climate change. So there mm-hmm. are business leaders who do things that are admirable. I'm not talking about those people either. What I'm talking about are leaders who use charisma and publicity to mask the fact that they are terrible bosses. Oh, and, and, and even worse human beings, I, <laughs> I would guess, it provides a convenient cover, right? Exactly. And, and here, and Eugene, tell me if you agree with these. These are some of the signs that I was noting about charismatic leaders who have gone bad. One, mm-hmm. they are usually conventionally attractive and play mm-hmm. on that, right? Mm-hmm. Elizabeth yep. Holmes, you think of her with her, you know, like bright red lip and the, you know, yeah. tousled hair. They are not good business people. They might get attention or funding or press, but there isn't any substance there. Dan Price's gravity uh, payments may be gross $2 million a year. Maybe. Elizabeth Holmes never made that machine that was supposed to read all about us from that, like, one little drop of blood. But they they try to use their charisma and any publicity or whatever they're representing to obscure the fact that they have zero business acumen. And they lie. They yeah. lie about all sorts of things, things they don't even need to lie about, like George Santos level lie. <laughs> and if it, I, I mean, I don't know that you know this, but my Substack this week was actually very specifically on George Santos because he deserves a place in the Hall of Fame of pathological lies. He and Francisco uh, Scatino, and of course, you know, as what you well know, I worked for one of the serial fabulists in, in Carlos Watson at at Ozzy. And more importantly, what I think and what I, I think should be noted is that he, um, I, there's a, uh, a friend of mine interviewed Robert De Niro at one point early on in his career. And he said about him, he loved De Niro, but he said, you know, there's, there didn't seem to be a lot of there there. And I find with these char- charismatic leaders and the ones who I've met, the ones, the evil ones, as you've described them, I find them to be fundamentally kind of empty. And so if you scratch the surface or move a little bit beyond, there's nothing but the grift, right? There's like no, there's, there doesn't seem to be, like they don't have really extant likes, <laughs> you know? It's just all kind of this uh, perpetual mobile of, 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 of trying to gain, say, some kind of something, cash, notoriety, fame. I mean, that was the, the, the terrible thing about them. If half the energy directed toward doing something worthwhile probably would have borne fruit, but the grift gets them in the end. You know? But what's interesting to me is why do people stay? Why do people keep working for someone who they know is, who, where they can sense that emptiness? Why do they stay? Um, because what is that thing about a, even a blind mouse finds cheese every now and then? I mean, yeah, having, having worked for somebody like this, I can tell you that I remember setting myself a percentage and I said, yeah, you know, could be he's full of crap. If, if 80% of what he says comes true, whatever. I mean, I can't get, who, who can guarantee you more than 80%? That's the reason. It, what about this? More than 50% of what he says comes true, then I'm willing to take a flyer on the rest of it. Of course, you know, uh, you never think about the fact that that 80% could be completely undone by the cre- completely criminal 20% that doesn't get done. But you, you stay because, I mean, to a certain level and to a certain degree, I think those of us who soldier on are fundamentally optimist. Right. And and optimist is a slang word for sucker sometimes, you know, so you stay. Well, <laughs> Apply I, that to marriage or jobs or whatever. We just keep hoping things are going to get better. And, you know, 
I think there's another factor too, and maybe this is more gendered, maybe women are more prone to do this, where the the liar in question will set up a what I call kind of a special relationship. So mm-hmm. one time when I was pretty senior in leadership, a new executive leader came in. Mm-hmm. And the very like first or second conversation we ever had, there was a lot of like significant eye gazing. And really emotional content, like I'm going to now talk to you about private things and we're going to have this special relationship and you're so important to me and, and really constructing this narrative of this special relationship, right? You are the special person to me. And of course, I've been around the block long enough to know that that does not bode well, but I think a lot of people, and certainly when I was younger, I got sucked into that. I'm the person that can help you know, my boss, Uh, they need me in a special way. And then there, Mm -hmm. I think you also can get into the sunk cost fallacy, right? Mm -hmm. Like I've been here for this long work for this person. I know them, you know, I'll just, the sunk cost fallacy is I might as well throw good money after bad because I've already thrown so much bad money. Do you think either one of those things, did you, do you as a man fall into that special relationship thing? Or do you think that's more something that women fall for? I've, I've had two bosses tell me they love me. Um, and I don't mean, I love you, bro. But I mean, like, I love you. And, um, and one did it face to face and one did it via email. Um, and, uh, and then I had a boss at a large high tech company who, who took it, uh, she took it well beyond that. And, and I don't say that she was the kind of boss we're describing, but it, it just seemed to be a weird kind of line stepping um, that was designed to elicit some sort of response that was over and above or outside professional purview. Um, and again, that's because there's no there there. There's no, there's, there's, there's no job task that's more important than suborning, you know, a, a, a true believer. And, um, and fundamentally, if you're in these places and you work with these people, and you have a glimmer of intelligence, you are choosing to believe that they are going to do the best. And these are the people that they're trying to make the sale to you specifically. So, and I've told, I've told people who have asked me for advice, typically when you go to a workplace, the person who most rapidly uh, approaches you in order to be friends is a person you should least be friendly with just because of the fact that I, it's my lifelong belief now that their burning of bridges with everybody else creates a situation where they got to get to you before everybody else gets to you and says, stay away from that guy. So, so um, yeah, I, I always find it weird and off-putting and it's a major, major red flag. And I think it doesn't serve, it doesn't work for me to actually, um, to appear to not go for what the kids say, not go for the okie doke. I, I think professionally, I would have been better served to carry, to, to, to evince, true belief and go like, they love you. Oh man, that means so much to me. And just play along because uh, to not play along gets you marked as somebody who is a threat and fundamentally will eventually be gotten rid of. Is that what ended up happening? That, that, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Clear, clear, clearly. Clear, uh, in one case, it was the, the hand of God that made the decision. But in the other case, yeah, it was, you know, there was no amount of, um, the, the they had to quickly and and without much ado figure out. Okay, I got to figure this guy. I got to get. I got to. I got to get him in the true believer column. And and my attitude was always, it's really unnecessary. I just do my job. You do your job. And that was not good enough. I, I was. If I wasn't going to believe, I was a threat. And uh, I think you know, I think that I had to be gotten rid of. So. 
Well, and that kind of brings me to today's flashcard to Lord Snoodles, some practical things that people might be able to do. So if you, if you find yourself in this situation, working for someone who is a charismatic liar, what can you do? Mm -hmm. Um, So the first thing that I would suggest, and and just as a side note, I had a boss once who did this special relationship thing. And the, Mm -hmm. the, the problem that I had was I saw him lie over and over again. I just didn't think he'd lie to me because we had this special relationship, (laughs) right? And I really believed that. And of course I was completely wrong. He lied like a rug and I had to get legal, you know, I had to get legal help to go after him to get the money that he was supposed to pay me. So based on bitter experience, what I would suggest to people, one, have written records of everything, every promise about money, time off, future promotions, opportunities, get it in writing. I've talked to so many people who have not like, well, but he said, she said. And I've also found that these types uh, do not favor email for that very reason. Can I I just get you on the phone? Hey, let's face to face, like uh, anything but email. Exactly. And so what I would try to do for those email resistant bosses, I would actually write things up in an email and send it to them. Here's a Mm -hmm. recap of our conversation. Right. The other thing that I do is I take pretty copious notes and I will always date. And sometimes I'll even put the time because I don't know if that would help me in any legal sense. But when you're arguing with someone to say, actually, according to my notes on August 7th at 2.53, you said it just, they usually will kind of step back. So, so keep notes. Do not trust that they're going to like actually follow through with anything. I'll I'll tell tell you, I got a call from uh, CBS, uh, legal department at CBS, threatening to sue me for something I said on a podcast. And I said, uh, this was based on the interview that I did uh, with the person in question in the airport. I spotted him in the airport. I corralled him in the airport and I recorded the interview on my phone I have the recording. Would you like to listen to it? And this is why uh, CBS lawyers get the big money, because the guy pivoted quickly to uh, from attack, attack, attack to, hey, listen, do you really want to hurt your friends? Is that that what we're here? And he got me with it. It actually worked. I was like, I edited the comment out, a uh, 1.3 second uh, uh, comment in a podcast that I had proof that the person that said, because the guy leaves, he want to hurt you. And he just started working on my heartstrings and it worked. Yeah. Sucker. Yeah. Well, and I think this is one where be mindful of your heartstrings, right? Because yeah, these same yeah. people that are looking deeply into your eyes and saying, I love you, are yeah. going to be the first ones often to stab you in the back. So, yeah. and that's the second point is don't believe that the liar will not lie to you. Really watch <laughs> out for this special bond or you're the only one I can trust narratives. Because right. first of all, it's rarely true. And actual real good leaders won't say that stuff to you. Right? Yeah. They don't need to play on that false emotionalism. They don't need to be tugging at your heartstrings because they can inspire loyalty in the real way by building social capital and treat, treating you well. And then yeah. the last one is to really understand that you might not get help from other people in your organization. One of the mm. things that I usually say to young people is HR is usually not your friend. Right. Yep. And I know occasionally there are good HR people, but generally when you have this charismatic liar, mm-hmm. other people know this, right? Mm-hmm. HR or HR knows, the board knows, 
their bosses know, everybody yep. knows. So you do yep. not have an ally. If you go and say, hey, I was promised this or this thing happened, don't expect that you're going to get help from yep. anybody up above and don't expect them to stop lying. And the reality yeah. is, is that usually these people get found out. And in mm -hmm. some cases, like Elizabeth Holmes, the whole company goes away. Sometimes it's just a division. But being associated or affiliated with these people can be really damaging to your career. Like this is a boat that is going to sink. It might not sink now, but it is going to sink. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. and, and yeah. those are some things. Did I miss anything in there? <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's a pretty solid, solid uh, uh, rendering. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I, I like the thing. Somebody once said to me, HR works for the company. They don't work for you. They're hired by and work for the company. They do not work for you. So this is something that that uh, that should be remembered. And you know, a lot of times, again, true belief and and cynicism. You know, naked cynicism. I mean, I think the you have well-intentioned board members who are just hoping things are going to work out. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and and don't. I mean, what I think that that type of boss you're talking about does really well is to compartmentalize. So, you know, you're all getting different versions of, of, of reality. Um, it seems exhausting to me. It's like the Topo Gigio and, and the spinning plates on the old Ed Sullivan show. Like, how many plates can you get spinning on little sticks? And it doesn't seem to be an upward number for, for these folks. And inevitably, like you say, it ends up with the plates crashing to the floor and, uh, uh, you know, public, uh, <laughs> public shaming, which is always still serves a function, I guess, right? So did you want to do the fire me segment? Fire me segment. Oh my goodness. Well, we are, I, I don't know how many, how many, I think if I totaled the number, it's maybe close to a hundred thousand people who have been laid off within a five mile radius of where I am sitting now. Um, and certain, a certain number of these, and I'm talking about Microsoft, I'm talking about Google, I'm talking about Meta, formerly known as Facebook and Amazon, I, that they're all within five miles of where I'm presently sitting. And so I, I, uh, uh, I know a lot of you, a lot of people who have been laid off, uh, up to and including myself. And I think that what, what I found interesting is the variation and how it was handled. And one, in one case, now, you know, Google is a very large company. Um, so this is not necessarily about what happened in Mountain View, uh, which is also within five miles of where I'm sitting right now. Um, but, you know, you have badges, and as people walked in to get badged, if you were part of the crew, they sent the email out at 2 in the morning, uh, uh, and if you were part of the crew that was laid off, as you badged in in the morning, your badge had been decommissioned, so you flashed red, and it was like, step over here, please. <laughs> that was like, you know, so all of this, fucking hoo-ha that these companies have been doing for years about we're like a family here we're like a family here you know what there's only one person in my family who's red carded me <laughs> and i've been in a family for 60 years okay so uh i mean can you just imagine walking into your workplace and you're chatting with a friend and so anyway and you get to the little machine that buzzes you in and and they just keep on going and and you're stuck back in the red zone kind of waving bye-bye uh, it, it was it was pretty terrible. In another instance, and these are not anecdotal. These are people saying, "I was there when this happened." Um, one guy is walking the sister, uh, uh, IT guy, because of course they had the commission emails. Is walking around, uh, uh, you know, some cubicles, and he's got a list. And he's going, "You're gone. Uh, you're gone. You know, you're you're okay. You still got a job. You're gone." <laughs> 
nobody commissioned him to do this. He just chose to do it probably based on the fact that he thought it was okay or had done it like that before. Uh, he did it to 30 people, and that was enough so that the numbers of complaints were noteworthy. And thankfully, his name was added to the list of people who were then gone. Um, but uh, but you know what? Many families are dysfunctional, so maybe they, they are telling the truth. Maybe it is like a family. <laughs> maybe all that family hoo-ha about Google and Facebook, I mean, maybe it's really real. I, I, I don't know. But there were many different ways to handle this, up to and including back to Mark Benioff, uh, we, who we spoke of uh, a couple weeks ago. He was back in, in the press for... Um, I don't know. It just seems to me that if you've, I mean, one of the things that we do at the show, if you have suffered at the hands of a bad boss, it's incumbent on you when the worm turns and you're in a position to be a boss yourself to not do that stuff, you know? Um, and I, I've seen many people, many people, I mean, I worked for a guy who worked at Goldman Sachs and they treat their workers like garbage and he went on to treat his workers like garbage. I don't understand it. I don't. Yeah. No, and I agree, and, and that's why I'm I'm so committed to this work. Yeah, is yeah. to give people that that option. Although one thing that was interesting with all these layoffs, and I can't remember where I read this, but people who are younger who have not mm. been through economic downturns before are shocked that they're getting laid off. People our age are like, mm. "Yeah, here we go again. Been there, yeah. done that." Right? Yeah, right. And and right. what's interesting is that the same people who are responsible for these massive layoffs are the same ones that work were complaining about quiet quitting and having yes. all of these comments about like, you know, the, yeah. this generation just doesn't want to work hard. They don't yeah. have any loyalty and they're doing quiet quitting. And it's like, what, what about your behavior indicates that you're treating them like human beings. So why yeah. should if you're treating them, you know, like, like livestock, why should yeah. they be going above and beyond? Yeah. Well, also I tell you, I, I, <laughs> I'm, I hate to go down to conspiracy land, but it's me, so I have to. I think that there's somewhere written, I'm not going to say a Machiavelli, something that they teach at Wharton, there's some, some class or some dictum that says, no matter how bad things are, that you stay ahead of the bad curve. So I've been in companies where morale has been terrible and people have been quitting like crazy and they still fired people and laid them off a pace. And I think it's like the, the kid's game with the baseball bat where you, for people just listening on SoundCloud, I'm now putting one hand above the other, above the other. And the idea is no matter where, the we're not going back to work, that they have to come, okay, we'll have layoffs. Oh, we want to unionize. Okay, we'll have more layoffs. That that whatever, whatever biz school that these cats come from that there's always this thing of the last word has to be yours because you have to maintain the illusion of control it doesn't make sense if you have an attrition problem if you have a morale problem if you have people leaving it doesn't make sense to continue firing people but they always do because i think they want to maintain the illusion i'm in control here uh you know alexander haig style and it's uh it's uh I'm quite sure it's probably written somewhere. It just happens too often to be yeah. coincidental. No, I think that's a great point. And, and it was interesting. I read an article in the New York Times this morning called The Digital Workplace is Designed to Bring You Down. And he yeah. talks about this guy, Cal Newport, who's a computer science professor and writer. And what he says is that because most of the work that we do is now done in front of a computer screen, yeah. that's very hard to manage. That the old yeah. style of management was you watched to see how many widgets a person made. And yeah. that was how you judged them. Well, you can't watch someone come up with a code or what. I mean, they're sitting at their computer. They're moving their hands. They could be 
doing Pinterest online dating or writing, you know, some great app. You don't know. And so mm. what, you know, he's talking about it from the standpoint of those of us who do that kind of work need to be very vigilant about how we spend our time, right? Yeah. Because, you know, it, it, it's, it's worth reading and I'll put that aside. But I think what's interesting is when you look at how people manage, mm-hmm. maybe there is a greater turn to some of that fear-based management that you're talking about. Because mm-hmm. what they're recognizing is essentially it's very hard to see if the people mm-hmm. that are working for you are working for you or not. You can't really right. measure productivity because you don't have a, a sack of how many bales of wool that you have knit are next to you. It's also mm-hmm. ephemeral. So maybe that's yeah. why they're going back to this like command and control. Well, I'm, I'm smiling now because to, to close the circle on this, the guy who put his foot on the guy's desk, the boss that I had to call, ask Andy why he was so fucking stupid, um, <laughs> he hit the employee that he loved the best was a guy named Earl. I'll just use first names here. It was a guy named Earl. And Earl left such a big impact on me, I wove him into my novel, A Long Slow Screw, because Earl was always on the phone. He was Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross style killing it on the phone on the phone and the boss would say you got to be more like earl earl well earl eventually quit and they discovered that all of the hours the man hours spent on the phone by earl were spent calling sex lines <laughs> did not see that coming did you i did not i did not earl see that coming. was uh, yeah he's up there with george santos and Francisco Scatito in my Hall of Fame of just pathological. He just worked it right to the end. Hats oh, off to you, Earl. All right, that's great. Well, listen, that's about all we've got time for. Please email us at WTF at badbossbrief.com because I'm not sure what our next episode is going to be, and I would love for you to give us some suggestions. Thanks to those who have written in so far. And I like the, ch- I like the chat comments. Uh, code negative writes, if your boss will lie for you, they'll lie to you is a piece of advice my old man gave me when I first went to work. 100% on that. Absolutely. That's great. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you soon. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Bad Boss Brief with your hosts, Eugene S. Robinson and Stephanie Payrollo. You can check out more of their work by visiting consigliera.substack.com for Stephanie and eugenesrobinson.substack.com for Eugene. You can also find Eugene at Mr. Sleep 3, that's the number 3, on Instagram. Send us your questions or comments to WTF at badbossbrief.com and be sure to join us right here on your favorite podcast platform for more insights every other week. Until next time, don't be an asshole at work.